Welcome to the official podcast of DogsDaily.com, a Sports Illustrated channel. Gets to the edge. Tony Michelle will send the Dogs home to the championship game. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you're in the right place. Hosted by Dogs Daily Riders, Jeremiah Stoddard, Kyle Funderburg, and Jonathan Williams. Here's pitch. High out into right center with some carry. It's got a chance. This ball is out of here. Tucker Bradley has won it. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. Welcome back for another episode of Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard here and Kyle Funderburk. Today, Jonathan is not with us. He is, I think, on vacation. I don't know, enjoying his summer somewhere while we sit here and bring some good content for you. So today, as we have to talk about, the expansion of the playoffs and the talk of all that hasn't been officially decided, but they came out and basically said they're going to expand it to 12 teams. So at this point, we can assume that's happening. So we're going to have to break that down for you guys and kind of go over you know, the pros and cons of both sides of it. Try to be someone that can see both sides of it. It's hard sometimes with these things and just have an open mind like we have to as well with everything that's going on. So That'll be the first thing we cover. The second thing to cover is the preseason All-American um, list that came out this week. There's some names on there. There's some names missing. There's some names that aren't in the first team that you would think might be able to and some comparisons of somebody that did above them. So we'll kind of go over that as well. Um, and also kind of want to highlight that'll kind of help us segue into the, the next segment of it where we'll talk about somebody brought up that everyone always talks about the offense and how good it's going to be and all this stuff, right? And they were like, well, what about the defense? What about our front seven? And let's talk about some of those guys. So we'll wrap up kind of talking about those guys. It'll kind of help segue from the other segment, believe it or not, when we talk about the All-American stuff. So that'll be a good little segment. But we'll obviously start with the 12-team playoff expansion proposal that's coming up. Kyle, you wrote an article on dogsdaily.com for this the other day. And I was reading that and you have a, a interesting perspective on it from from what I kind of perceived as well. I'm interested to hear your actual words and thoughts come out, you know, rather than just the article that you wrote and kind of explain your thinking of it. So the biggest point that you were talking about is the scheduling that Georgia has made, you know, moving forward. We, we've been everyone was seeing that we were scheduling the big marquee names out of conference like the Power Five teams like Clemson. Hence, we start the season with Clemson this year. Um, you know, here in a couple months. So games like that being on the schedule all the way through like 2030. We have every season, we have something on there with an out-of-conference team that's a bigger name than normal. Um, your point was, it's going to be maybe a little bit more beneficial when we look at the 12-team expansion. So I'll let you kind of start with with all of that. Yeah, I was uh, going through, not every team in the conference or in the nation has adopted this schedule philosophy that's, you know, Georgia and some others pioneered a few years ago. I mean, and when it gets to the point where we have that 12-team playoff, um, these deals take take some time to, to get. So when that 12-team starts, you know, Georgia's going to be one of those teams where, you know, maybe they slip up a couple times in the regular season, but they have a victory over 
They play Oklahoma in a few years. They play Oregon next year. Um, UCLA in a few years. If they have, if they were to lose two games in the regular season, or maybe one game in the regular season, one game in the conference championship game, but they have a regular season win over Oklahoma, and then you compare their resume against someone with a similar record, but has no such wins. Um, who gets that twelfth spot in the playoffs? It's the committee is going to choose Georgia every time, and that's and that's and that's a scenario. So the whole point of that story was like, and now everyone has to um, jump on board this scheduling philosophy of getting more Power Five teams on, on the schedule, um, because if not, you're you're going to lose those arguments in the committee every time. Yeah, and I. I... That was something that somebody else was bringing up the other day um, that I was talking to. It was not necessarily talking about our schedule, like directly on it, mm-hmm. um, but like in general of saying that now it's going to be one comment that somebody made was, you know, how like there's the basketball power index. It's very important yeah. when it comes to making like, you know, the tournament and everything in March Madness, all that good stuff. And they said that there's going to be like the, the FBI is going to be a lot more important, basically. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of teams, it will. You know, there there are a lot of teams out there that I agree that it it'll definitely make a difference. On my thoughts on this kind of concept with Georgia, um, or some, no, I'm not even. I'm going to stay away from Georgia specifically on it right here. I'm going to talk about just like bigger team names like Georgia, like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Well, I'll kind of focus on all, this. This statement goes for all of them. With teams like that, say Clemson, for instance, when they play in the ACC, they or at this point, you're going to put go ahead and pencil them into your ACC championship game. The same way that Bama, everyone's going to pencil Bama into the, the SEC championship game, especially like this year too, with LSU and Auburn and all those other teams on the West being a little bit depleted right now. So when you look at it like that, does it help to schedule those games when you're just pretty much feeling comfortable that you're going to win your SEC West games for Bama, that you're going to be in Atlanta, and so then you're going to match up with a team like Georgia um, in in that game or Florida or somebody in the East that is going to match up with you. And if you can confidently say that you will not lose a regular season game because you unless you just slip up somewhere, which Bama goes undefeated a lot, like they win their regular season games a lot or you kind of expect them to, would it be one of those things that where you add a non-conference game like we're doing this year where we play Clemson and it's a potential loss on your schedule, whereas otherwise the way it's currently formatted and stuff or set up where you play four cupcake games and you just play like an FCS team instead and that's a guaranteed win rather than potentially giving – like it, I see the argument that you help your strength of schedule. It does, but it also gives you that aspect of a potential loss that you may not have to take. Well – uh, Saban, he's not pen- he's not penciling in Alabama's name in the SEC championship game. I mean, he no, no, he's not. Everyone else will. Everyone he else won't. will. He but won't. I think from a perspective of the teams, they they can't afford to do that. Like they have to to hedge their bets um, and go with the, the 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 for sure thing. And if you, I mean, Bama has slipped up a few times recently. I mean, they were we thought they were a shoe in to go all the way. I mean, just in general in 17, but they had that slip up with Auburn mm-hmm. and they, you know, if not for some little, little, little chicanery keeping Ohio State out of the playoffs, Alabama doesn't get, doesn't get that shot. Right. We go into 2019, we think Alabama's a shoe in. They slip up against LSU. We go into 2013, we think they're at their shoe in. They lose uh, to Auburn on the miracle. So 
yeah, I mean, they're probably the best teams, but it's, it's you only get one shot to beat a team each week. So you know that you're probably you're, – I mean, Bama hasn't gone undefeated every time they win a national title in this a dynasty. I think most of the time they have a loss on their uh, on their on their record. So you teams just have to the heads their bets. They gotta say we gotta go with if if we have a slip up, we gotta make sure we can still get in and making sure you have those tough tough teams on your on your schedule and and uh possibly beat them. That's the best way. Yeah. And I, I see that as it's very valid like way to look at it as well. And I I just have a like, my personal thoughts on it is with that loss Bama was still able to make it into the playoffs, you know, in 2017, right? And so they they had one regular season loss. It kept them out of, you know, the SEC championship game because they didn't win their side of the division, and Auburn did. And so that kept them out of that game. Well, they were still able to make it into the top four. So my, my reason for saying that I don't know personally, like, how much it, it helps to add those games too much to the schedule is just because... If you're going, if they say, especially like with that example, using Bama getting into the top four still with it, they'll definitely be in the top 12, even if they slip up and one game in the regular season. Even if you want to look back at Georgia, even think back to when we slipped up against South Carolina and then we lost the SEC championship game with those two losses, we still can, you know, make the argument to make the top 12 teams. You know, I, I don't have the the final rankings in front of me and stuff to look at each year right now. But I know Georgia has been in the top 12 a lot in the past few years at the end of the season or going into the bowl game and stuff like that, even though we weren't going to be able to make the playoffs. Several times we've been right there at the brinks of making the playoffs. Like we we love that five spot. Like that's that's yeah. that's a spot we just seem to be a few years. We, we all sat there on our couch during Selection Sunday going, surely we have an argument to be there. And then the team they slip in right above us is, you know, a Notre Dame or, you know, an Oklahoma or somebody like that. And you're like, all right, well. I guess that is what it is, right? And, and you just you sit there at five. But the reason I bring that up with, with Georgia, too, is even this past year where we started and we lost to Bama and then we lost to Florida. Yeah, last year was a different type of year because it was a shortened season. It was a COVID season and stuff didn't quite play out the same way. Georgia still finished at, what, nine at the end of the year? Yeah, ninth. Ninth. So they still would have made the playoffs last year. Yeah. yeah they, they- and that's with losing to two SEC teams, one being yeah. Florida. I just don't know that adding those – I like watching the games as a, as a football fan mm-hmm. in general. Like, all right, Let me start – let me kind of backtrack a little bit and, and start this argument. Um, well, not start the argument, but kind of like give a little bit of groundwork for what I'm saying in general. So as a Georgia fan, as a Georgia fan, I see things one way, and I see that the 12-team playoff is going to be extremely beneficial for them. I see all of the – pluses and stuff why people would love it and stuff like that as a college football fan in general i'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the expansion myself um which i'll get more into detail of that here in a minute as well as a whole but as a georgia fan it definitely benefits georgia massively because like i said where we consistently end up we're right there on the brinks of making the playoffs even with it being at four teams, we're right there. And we, we still have to try to beat Bama, and we haven't been able to get over that hump in the SEC championship game to get there into the playoffs when we have a chance. Or we drop a random game against LSU, a random game against South Carolina that people we shouldn't lose. Like, we just shouldn't. 
but we're still in that spot to make the playoffs, which is why it's extremely beneficial for Georgia to have a 12-team playoff system. It's Kirby probably absolutely loves the fact that they expanded because now he feels like he has a little bit more breathing room, whereas you don't have to be perfect yeah. to be able to make the playoffs. And even the, before, the, the biggest question was, you know, can you make the playoffs with two losses? The answer has been no, really. Like, if you had two losses, it was just too much, barely, but just too much not to make the playoffs. The new question is going to be how many three-loss teams have the opportunity mm-hmm. to make it in. And when you start talking about, like, a three-loss team situation, being able to make the playoffs, that means, say, we lost to South Carolina randomly. Then we lose to Bama in in the, uh, the SEC championship game. We still are going to be in the top 12. Um, it, it, to me, it kind of, like it kind of takes a little bit of pressure off in all of your SEC games, like the big teams that we play in our own conference all the time. It kind of makes you feel a little bit more comfortable with those games in the regular season because if you do slip up, you have pretty confident you know, thought process of, hey, as long as that's our one slip up, even if we say we get to Bama in the SEC championship game and lose it, we're still going to have a chance. And when we get there, if we get hot at the right time, if everybody kind of starts clicking, which it happens, everyone makes the argument of like, you know, the reason you play this many games is to get to your best version of your team. And so, yeah, you you will probably be, you, you should be a better team after mm-hmm. the SEC championship game, like at that time of the year in December, going into January, than you were in September when you first started your first game. Like on September 4th, we we will not be our best version of ourselves going into that game. And we have to go up against Clemson to start, potentially losing to Clemson, which we've talked about this before. I don't think that losing to Clemson is going to impact our ability to get to where we need to go this year. I don't think it matters um, as long as we don't lose something else. Now, it puts more pressure in other areas. Like we do now have pressure to not lose that random game to South Carolina, that random game here and there. Or if we do at that point, we're going to have to win the SEC championship game kind of thing. Mm -hmm. you, You add extra pressure there by losing but as far as our ability to get to the sec championship game clemson has no impact on it and so therefore we still have our chance to build up to our best version of ourselves in december to be able to beat Alabama or somebody to make ourselves a top four team at that point so i understand when i say all of that i do understand the argument of with 12 teams yeah somebody might have lost the game randomly you know and slipped up, but that doesn't mean they're not one of the best teams in the country. And so by expanding to 12, you give those teams that may have slipped up early in the season the chance to make up for it and show that they are one of the better teams. So it does add that to it. As a college football fan in general, though, I'm not the biggest supporter of expanding to 12 teams. I will say I I knew they, they had to expand. Four teams wasn't going to work. My perfect scenario was if they expanded to, say, six teams where the first two teams, uh, number one and number two, got a first week bye, mm-hmm. and then the other two would play up to those other two teams afterwards for a semifinal game. If they had gone to eight, I would have been okay with it. You wouldn't have heard me complain about it because, once again, you, they have to expand. Four teams is really not enough Like at this point. like They were going to expand it. I understand. Expanding straight from four to 12, to me, is ridiculous, and I think it, it gives you the chance, like the... It gives you the a potential huge downfall of you don't have time to go back on what you've done at this point. Like you, you won't be able to have the opportunity down the road. You will not see them go from twelve back down to eight later. You, you, they won't go backwards. No. So they jumped immediately up to twelve. So now that that is what college football is going to be. And my whole point of it in this conversation is by doing so, 
do they take away some of the importance of some of the games in the past that have been so crucial, so much of like must watch TV in the regular season? Like do, does Bama versus Auburn in both of them being, you know, undefeated or a one loss team kind of thing going into that game where they're trying to decide who's going to win the West, right? Or a Bama versus LSU, same scenario. Does that game now not feel as much like must watch TV? That's the question. In the regular season. Now, in the playoffs or SEC championship game, everyone's going to watch that regardless. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about the regular season. Is the regular season impacted by the fact that the 12 game or 12 team playoffs takes away some of the importance of the actual regular season game? You do not have to be perfect, which means losing those games really isn't a big deal for a team like Obama or somebody that's going to be able to make up for it and be in the top 12, be in the top six, whatever, to be able to make up for it down the road. Are those games less important now? Yeah, that, that, that is a valid question, and I think we need to find out a little more about the whole structure of the 12-team playoff. When is the first round? Like, we're already hearing that the first round is going to be on campus, and I guess second round would be in bowl games. This, yeah, right now the first round would be um, – the first round, the top four teams would get a bye week. So we'll go ahead and break that down a little bit. So the way yeah. the system is, the way the bracket is set up, the top four conference champions, like the highest-rated top – Conference champions of four will be number one through four. So one, two, three, and four will be, you know, say a Bama, a Clemson, a Oklahoma, um, Ohio State. Ohio State. So that say that would be your four because they're the highest ranked because the Pac-12 is not going to be in that. An Oregon, you know, Pac-12 champion is not going to be better than the other four as far as the rankings go. So it'll be like those four teams most of the time. Mm-hmm. So you're still going to have that set. They get a bye week of week one. They don't play week one of the playoffs, the first round. The other eight teams will play in that first round. And the higher seeded person or the higher seeded team in that matchup gets a home game. So theoretically, Georgia could play a playoff game in Sanford Stadium, which for some people that I talked to about this, that was like the best thought they've ever had. They're like, that's so cool. That's amazing. You know, you get a home, you get a playoff game in Sanford Stadium. Which theoretically is really cool, you know, but oh, yeah. as somebody that you've, you've seen it, I've seen it. Like think about like last season when, um, or two seasons ago with Notre Dame coming to, to Athens. That game it wouldn't have made a difference if it, it, I don't think a playoff game would be any different than that environment already was in the regular season. It, there's already 93,000 people there. It's already insane atmosphere. It's a night game. It, you're not going to make that scenario better by you know, too much like a playoff game. Yeah, it adds more on the line. I get it, but that game was already the environment was so intense. It was so just like your blood just going. Like it, it was already that type of game. There already are big games like that. When we play Auburn at night at home in Sanford Stadium, when you know any of those night games, when when it comes up to a bigger matchup on our season and we play a seven eight o'clock game in Sanford Stadium, it already has that environment feel to it. Like the way the fan because every game feels so important in a in, in the way that it's currently set up. Those games are just as important because if you lose it, you essentially lost the first round anyway. It's like, and then now you may not be in the playoffs at all. So that it, it, you almost get that environment by having it. But I do understand, like it would theory in people's heads and in people's minds, it would be a cool experience. It would be that in home people's, game in, in people's uh, bank accounts. Oh, for sure, it's money making <laughs> thing. The, let me also say before we finish the rest of the conversation, the whole situation is 
it's a money grab thing yeah. for the NCAA, for ESPN, for everyone, all of the conferences, like Greg Sankey, all of them. It's all about money for all of them. For even the teams, like that home game at Georgia, say if it's Sanford Stadium playoff game, they make more money on that. But at the same time, they make money in other ways too, like all the time. So like, but still, everything about the expansion is about money. At the end of the day, it, you can't really. To me, I don't understand it being thought of any other way. Like they 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 see the opportunity to make a lot of money, and they will because once again, everyone's going to watch those playoff games. All college football fans, they're going to watch the playoff games, even if it is, a, you know, a Bama playing against a Coastal Carolina somehow, like something like those type of matchups. Because you're going to have a team like Coastal Carolina. You're going to have a BYU and stuff slip into those playoffs in the top 12. And yeah, they get their chance. Like Cincinnati, they get their chance to be in the playoffs and see and show people what they can do. Or they come in and they don't do that. And then Alabama just absolutely steamrolls them. Everyone made their money though. But was it really a good game to add, if that makes sense. Yeah, I gave them the opportunity so people will like that because the whole big argument for the AAC, their conference and everything was, when are we ever going to get our chance? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what pushed, you know, expansion, the constant argument of that, the constant argument of like, all right, this team's number five, but like it's super close to number four as well. So they got left out. Those are what kind of pushed the hand on it plus the money side of it. But it just, it just makes me really wonder if having that playoff game at home for some of these places, if those types of games are really worth what's being sacrificed during your regular season. That's my question. Well, yeah, I mean, we go back to, I mean, you kind of pondered earlier, like, will the regular, like, what effect does this have on the regular season? Right. I think the one thing saving the value of the regular season are those four teams that get a buy. Because you're still, like, like, this, like the, a big pressure still on. And that's why I alluded to earlier, like, we really got to see what the structure is. Like, if you go undefeated, you get a first-round bye. Well, what if there's only a week of separation between the first round and the second round? And how many how many times in the past have we seen a guy, a player that we didn't talk about in the regular season, other than just wondering, like, how their development's going, and all of a sudden they make the most of bowl prep, and they have a big, big showing in the bowl game. So let's say... Like you keep these bowl games on New Year's Day. That's the second round. So a yeah, week the New be- Year's six games. Yeah. So week before is a first round. Maybe those teams that they didn't get that top four, they lose that extra week of bowl prep. Maybe they aren't able to get that one player, two player, that Aziz Ojolari back in the 2018 Sugar Bowl or Brittany this past year, or countless other players in the past. Maybe they're not able to get a guy like that to that level. But a team that did get in the first four. Who, do, who does have that first round by? They're able to work on themselves a, a, a week more. They're really able to develop those guys. They go in with um, undoubtedly a stronger roster than what than the team that they will play. So that to me saves some value in the uh, in the regular season because there is that like, can we get that first four? You get a big advantage. Like I said, you are going to go in potentially with two or three more players like usable on your roster. Yeah, um, I would say my two points like with that that like make me wonder like how it'll all play out. Once again, mm-hmm. like everything that I'm saying, let me once again repeat that as a Georgia fan, the playoff expansion is really good. Mm-hmm. So when everything that I'm arguing against, if I if I make a point that's like against like the fact of what they're doing, 
it's not as a Georgia fan, it's as a college football fan of it. So I do understand, once again, that Georgia benefits massively. I love it as far as that goes, because now we're going to have those chances that maybe we slipped up and all of a sudden we have the chance to really make up for it. So just saying that once again to remind everybody on there. So, But with that same point that you're saying there, so think about it like this, or my questions about it are this. In that situation, it's extremely important, yes, to be that that bye week because not having to play that extra game potentially keeps other people from getting hurt in that game. That's mm-hmm. the one thing of it. It gives you a little bit of extra time to prep for your matchup um, in general or just bowl prep in general because you don't know who you're going to play yet, obviously. So you can't do like team specific until the mm-hmm. actual week up still. So that part won't change. But you do get the extra time to practice or rest your bodies up, all that kind of stuff. The potential question mark that I have now for the regular season in that regard is – Going into a matchup rivalry, we think about like week 12 for Georgia, right? So they play Georgia Tech. Do we sit an Aziz Ojolari in that game because we're confident we're going to win most likely anyways? But even if somehow we were to lose, it's we're still going to be – it's a non-conference game. It's not going to affect us at that point more than like we're, we're still going to get to go play against, you know, Alabama or Auburn or LSU in the SEC championship game. And that's the one that's going to matter. So we can – You'll see my, my worry is you're going to start seeing a lot more resting players oh, for sure. in you the will. regular season. You will, for sure. Right. And so that's kind of like the counterpoint of like there's pros and cons to both sides of everything. Like So what you're talking about, being able to have the extra time for somebody to recover that one week and not have to play that one game where some people might have to is beneficial. But at the same time, it, that's where I have that same question pop up again is how does that impact the regular season that we currently love with college football? What makes college football so good is that every single week matters so much that you cannot just slip up. You have to be able mm-hmm. to win week in and week out to be able to get to that end goal of a national championship. There's a reason that a lot of people will sit here and tell you, and I'm one of them, I'll say this too, college football to me is a lot more fun to watch, a lot more exciting than the NFL. And the reason for that is I'm a Falcons fan. I'll, I'll say that here. and I, But I'm... And I'm a huge football fan, like especially like hence the reason we have this show right here. We are we are big Georgia fans. So. But I I still I won't watch some Falcons games during the regular season because there's now there's 17. They just expanded to 17 regular season that there's 17 games. We've we've already sat here and watched a nine and seven New York Giants win the Super Bowl. And and the NFL is also expanding the playoffs, too, aren't they? That part, I, there was talk about it. I didn't see if they'd actually done it yet, but I, they had talked about it. Yeah, they're. Um, yeah, that's, that's so I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know about that as well. But my my point of it is, when when you do you expand the season longer, these games, you know, and you start expanding the playoffs. You know, there's more teams in the playoffs. Those games in the regular season become less important. And so, as a, even as a big fan, like I'll find myself like I make plans to do stuff on Sunday. Like, oh man, I won't watch the Falcons game today. Oh well, you know it, it's not that big of a deal. There's 16 other ones at this point in the regular season. I'll I'll miss this one. You won't catch me do that with the Georgia game. You won't. And it's because every single game is must watch TV because you cannot slip up and and you know lose those games. They all matter so much. But now. In those regular season games, I'm still going to watch because I'm I'm one of those fans that I'm going to watch regardless. I'm yeah. I'm going to, but I wonder how many people that are like just casual college football fans that won't watch those games that might have watched them before, mm-hmm. and then I start wondering of how those games are impacted by like once again players getting rested because you know we want to save them for a longer term run because at this point now you have extra games to play later in the season too like mm-hmm. for a playoff run now you have more games on the schedule so. 
you they might need a extra break in the middle of the season to make sure they can recover because they have to play more later whereas now they don't have to worry about that so that's that's where all the questions come up for me and i don't know if the trade-off is worth it in general for college football for me as a fan now if i was one of the big names big teams big you know owner or not owner but like um conference you know commissioner all that kind of stuff or or big head in the ncaa it's great because it makes you a lot of money Mm -hmm. But as a fan, I just I don't see the I'm I'm not very pleased with the expanding to twelve. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I because I when I first saw it, I wasn't a fan. Now I'm like, okay, let's 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 wait till we see how it's really structured, how like the weeks are done, like like how much is going for that first run by, how how much is that 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 going to matter? Um, because if it's like scheduled in a way where like let's let's say for instance the first round is the week after conference championship week. Mm-hmm. So now team wins, they now have a few weeks to prepare for that for that team that got the first round by. Now all of a sudden that's not a big advantage. I think I think to make it work at its best, that first round has to be a week before the New Year's Six Bowls. Because that that gives the teams that earned those those that that by uh, the biggest advantage you make those four spots like prestigious you make them matter and teams are going to go go for those 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 four spots like if, you know, like if you keep winning you got to keep keep your foot on the gas if it's going to be that much of an advantage and then when if you slip up then it's like okay let's not slip up again um, but that's how it has to be to work um, at its best like I said like I said if if First round is the week after the conference championship games. You've just you've just uh, ruined it, in my opinion. Okay, we definitely won't be the week after because um, think of it: the the conference championship games are usually the first week of December. Mm-hmm. You know, typically the first Saturday of December is the SEC championship game. Last year it was like December nineteenth or something because of COVID stuff. And we got pushed; mm-hmm. the whole season got moved, so that's why it was so late. But typically, the game is going to be the last weekend or the first weekend of December is the championship games. Yeah. So they still have, even in that scenario, they would still have at least three weeks or around three weeks probably before they would have to play that first, um, that game, at least two to three weeks. It depends on like, mm-hmm. say it's like the, the first Saturday is like the seventh or something like that, or the sixth, then it's going to be pushing closer to the end. So you're going for that new year's game. They'll have to kind of structure a certain way, obviously. Well, at that point, they're also going to have to, the first round, it's, it's going to have to be like a rant. It'll have to be like a Monday or something like that, or like a Tuesday sometimes. Like the games could be in the middle of the week mm-hmm. because, you know, if they go for like the New Year's Day game, you know, obviously New Year's is not on a Saturday every year. So yeah. like it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out that side of it as well. But typically people that play in the SEC championship game, ACC championship game, all those are going to play the first week. So they'll still have a few weeks to prepare for that first game, even in in that case. Mm-hmm. And my th- concern about it as well is because you're right, it, it, getting that extra week off is still a really big deal. It can get you to where you like people, extra health, extra time to prepare, all that good stuff. It is very important. I agree wholeheartedly. My concern is the thought process could still be of, like I mentioned earlier, you already know what four conference champions or conference championship games are going to be represented in that top mm-hmm. four. It's not going to be the pack, you know, the pack 12. It's not going to be the AAC. It's not going to be those teams. So the reason I, I bring that up again is, well, that's just right now. I mean, you right we now, don't, we don't know what's the landscape of 
Right. I mean, down the road, something can change. I think that's the hope of it all is that it'll bring, you know, a little bit more of that in where different teams will make the bigger push down the road is what they're what the hope is. That's what people are saying, that like it'll give some more national attention to those smaller teams Mm -hmm. and people will start watching more. You know, boosters might get more into it, put more money into the programs in some spot. But I don't think the money's the problem with some of these big programs like think about Oregon and stuff. They've got plenty of money. As far as their boosters go, like, I mean, the creator of Nike went to Oregon. They have access to money. That's not the problem. The teams with the most to gain are from the American Conference. Yeah. Because look at where those schools are at. Those schools are the ones that can gain the most because they'll get more attention. They will be able, they won't go out here. I think it'll be a long time before you see them get like five-star recruits and stuff like that. But they might start making a little bit more of a splash in recruiting because they'll be able to say, hey, we have a chance to do this with you. You know, we not only have the chance to get into the top 12, we've, we've been right there on our own. With you, you could push us to where you might be the piece missing to be able to beat a bigger team, to be able to go further into the playoffs. Maybe we make a big push. They can make that argument more, and if they start to get the momentum, it can really pick up for teams like Cincinnati and stuff like that. It really can. And that's only part of what's going to entice these players. Like, I mean, think about the location of these schools. Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, New Orleans, um, Orlando, Tampa, Cincinnati. I don't have the list of the American Conference ahead of me, but Memphis, <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, yeah. There's a few more big TV markets in there. You're gonna give, you're gonna, you're gonna give those cities, those schools, a better shot at the national title. TV is gonna follow them because that's a conference that has 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 the markets. That that conference is it'll is, help. Yeah. yeah, that they those schools had the most to gain, and that's and then you add in the NIL stuff where yeah. you know potentially down the road as well for some of those like if they start expanding that across the board, that'll also help where they can use that to help recruit as well because they have good markets that they're in mm-hmm. to be able to entice players that way as well. So all of it combined could really help across the board. It, that, it is possible. That to me is going to be not many people are talking about it right now but we're going to look back and say that's one of the biggest uh, effects that expanded playoff has had is that it's it's made some of these american conference schools more um, consistent more competitive um, i think that's right now it's a pretty competitive conference top to bottom uh, they're not going to affect like the elite teams and and college football right now but i mean you look at kansas like kansas is going to fall even even lower Compared to, compared to these schools, or or Washington State, who has struggled with consistency, or Kentucky and Vandy, like those are, are the schools that that'll be hurt by this. Yeah, um, and they're already struggling. Yeah, I mean, the, those are the ones you'll see teams like that. Like my my thought, we were talking about this um, a group of people the other day, and expanding like if they, especially if they want to expand past twelve again. If they decide they want to, which they will down the road, like, by the way, like, in my opinion, I, I it's going to take a little. They won't do it immediately, but they're, they're still going to try to expand the playoffs again. Like, at some point, it's, mm-hmm. it's all money. Once again, it's all about the money of it. So that they might try to expand again down the road. And if they do, at that point, they're going to have to do something about the way that college football is structured as a whole. Like the conferences, the way that they are and all that kind of stuff, That at that point they're going to have to restructure everything if they want to keep doing it. So down the road I could see that happening with all of this is part of my thought process on it. Um, but yeah, like you, you make very good points as far as like down the road of how it will potentially play out with those other teams being able to build their, their team up and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in the meantime – so say in the next few seasons, in the next couple of seasons, kind of what I was saying a minute ago was right now we know the four conferences that are going to be represented in that. So as long as Georgia has that chance to play against, you know, 
somebody else in the West for that SEC championship game, as long as they win that one, they'll be, you know, one of the four highest rated conference champions. And so then they'll be still in that spot. So if they drop that regular season game, it's not as big of a deal still for those four conferences, because if they win their conference, whoever those champions are, they still are going to have confidence that they're going to be in that top four. That's that's one of the other concerns. That's the last thing I'll kind of point out about it. Um, And I'll kind of I'll let you finish up if you have comments afterwards here, but I'll, I'll kind of pause the rest of that. I know Jonathan wants to jump in on this conversation with us when he gets back with us in the next week or so. Um, so we'll, we'll pick this conversation up back then as well, but I'll give you a second just if there was something else you wanted to kind of comment right now as well. Um, not a whole lot. Just, I know it sounded like I defended the 12 team playoff, but like I said, when I first saw it, I was not um, happy. Um, I was actually fine, fine with four, if I'm being honest, but like I, I was with you, actually. Um, six was my um, ideal number. Um, give every conference champion um, a spot and then have it at large because there's always that one team that doesn't win their conference that you feel like made like Alabama and, and 17, obviously. Right. Um, the other like big thing I want to touch on we haven't mentioned is the specifics of those four um, first-round buys are going to conference champions. Like, is this going to force Notre Dame to finally join a conference? Oh, 100%. 100%. They're going to have to because they are not able. The, everything that you just explained, yeah. right, all the importance of it, they will not be able to make the top mm-hmm. four. They will. If they go undefeated, they'll be five. Yeah. They cannot be, which I love it, by the way. This that That's the best <laughs> thing I took away from this whole thing is the fact that Notre Dame is going to half. They are going to be forced into joining a conference if they ever want to be in the top four again. If they ever want to be able to take advantage of the first round bye, mm. they have to. They don't have a choice because that has been talked about on SportsCenter and all these other things. It's, everyone's brought that up because it's a very valid point. And it's the first thing that I thought about too was, well, there goes Notre Dame out of the top four. They'll still be in the playoffs all the time. Don't get me wrong, but they won't be a top four team. And so does yeah. that mean that they slip up and lose in that first round because they have to play, you know, a coastal, or maybe maybe they slip up to a team like that. You, I mean, it, it could be a good game. You don't know because they haven't really showed us a great track record of you know winning when they make the playoffs, anyways. Mm-hmm. So, it, or bowl games in general, they they don't have a great track record with that. Yeah. So now you put them; those are the teams that'll be really impacted because yeah. you you put them if they have to play against a, a team that's you know maybe ranked eighth or something like that as an extra game. They maybe they will get eliminated mm-hmm. that way. Or they don't ever get to get in the top four. Like that, that's a huge yeah. factor. After, they, they will be forced into a conference. Like when the, when this gets approved, because it will, it will uh, give it two months, and Independence will be gone. Basically, uh, Notre Dame will be in the ACC as soon as possible. BYU will look to settle somewhere. Army might even join a conference. And that and that that, uh, uh, that the Army joined a conference. That would go back to one of my points. Like when will that first round be? Because if Army joins a conference, it'll most likely be the American. Um, that game, Army-Navy game, can't be after conference championship week anymore. So right. you're going to lose that week where that's the only game. That frees a week. I mean, I'd hate, hate to, to, to see it, but that would be the playoff ruiner for me for 12 teams, just putting that first round in that spot that Army-Navy mm-hmm. used to acquire. Yeah. 
Uh, but it's yeah. all interesting to see how it's going to play out. The biggest thing is we all have to sit here and just watch. And I was talking because I've been opposed to the whole thing like since the beginning, yeah. which I, I'm i trying to do. I'm, I'm working on getting myself to the same spot you've been able to get yourself well, to. I, mean, I want to be optimistic of what it's going to do for college football as a whole. Yeah. Because once again, I know it's going to help Georgia. That part I've already said. I, I know it's mm-hmm. helping Georgia. But as college football as a whole, as a, as a college football fan myself, I'm still on the fence of like what it's going to be. So I'm really, really hopeful. I'm, I'm praying that other people are right. I, I want everything you say to be right with this situation because I want college football to be as good or better than it is right now. I don't want something to impact the, you know, importance of college football to everybody. I don't want it to be mm-hmm. depleted, it, the value of it to, to go down in my head. But so I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that is what happens. Yeah, I've kind of gotten to that point just because I know it's inevitable. So there's no reason to. I mean, it's not going to change either. I mean, even nope. if even if that, that does go back go to twelve, it's not going to fall back to four. Eight. Once again, they, they once you go up, you they won't go back. So that's one of one of the reasons I was so mad they jumped so high at first, rather than just inching. Like go go to six or eight first, then you move up more. Like you you jumped all the way to twelve. You can't go back. You, you're not going to be able to. So at this point, we're going to have to live with what what it is. That's where we're at. It will say one thing I saw. Um, I believe I believe it was uh, Fletcher Proctor who's who said it. I believe he used to rap for um, Athens Banner Herald. He said that the whole twelve team playoff plan was to just get everyone uh, angry enough to accept eight teams. And so then they change it back to eight now. And yeah. so they come out now and say, "All right, well we've heard we heard the people. We listened to the people, and we'll go back to eight instead. We'll do that instead yeah. of twelve now. Yeah, that would be that'd yeah. be on brand. Yeah, maybe that the, maybe that that's that's the grand plan. Yeah." Yeah, like you're right. I mean, Georgia will def- definitely benefit because I've even put in the first story that I wrote about it. I mean, we'd be on a four a four year playoff streak if we had a twelve team uh, oh, playoff yeah. all along. Yeah, we would, and and yeah. we had good teams a couple of those times where we could have actually made a big push in in the postseason, like in that situation, like when we've ended the season at five, or when we ended, you know, the se- like think about la- even last year, really when we ended at nine and we finally had JT and the team was actually clicking a lot more than they had been before. At that point, we were a better team than we were at the beginning yeah. of the season with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. We had a better chance to beat a Bama because if you go back and watch the beginning, you know, the Bama game it, going into the fourth quarter, there was, you know, if one play, if one pass is completed, all of a sudden it's like a one possession game in the fourth quarter. Like that's all it would have taken. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that's a game. And so with a better quarterback, a better offense as a whole because of it, at that point, you had a better chance to beat a team like that. And so we were a better team. So that's the, that is like the positive argument to it. Like we did get a lot better yeah. by the end of the season than we were at the beginning, personally. Or, or go back to 18 when you we, we could go into the playoffs of Monty Rice and oh Aziz Ojolari and Quay Walker um, all of a sudden playing at, at, at a, high, a higher level or I guess uh, – Ojolari wasn't playing at any level before, before, before the ball game that year. Right before, yeah, that, that was his coming out party. Yeah, so yeah, you go to eighteen. You you, Georgia's uh, way better even after the SEC championship game. So I mean, yeah, it definitely Georgia is one of the the the, the beneficiaries, but we would have benefited from eighteens. Right, exactly, because we would be right there at that spot yeah. if they had gone to eight and twelve. That's why I say with twelve, we're definitely going to be in. Like at this point, as long as Kirby Smart is there. At this point, now think about, you know, I'll say a couple months ago, you know, after the season ended, we were starting to look at everything this year. We all sat right here with Jonathan, too. And we sat in my my own words. I said this season 
is a playoff or bust season for me. Because if we don't make the top four at this point, I'm going to be disappointed. Because of everything being set up the way that it is, Mm -hmm. right now I've set the expectation of top four. Our recruiting stuff, we're going into year six with Kirby. At this point, this is the time where he's got to start making those strides where if we don't make it the top four, I'm going to feel disappointed. Mm-hmm. Now, no, every, year's, every, every year, is, is, if you do not make the bust. playoffs, you're you're bad. At that point, it's going to be a requirement for coaches like Kirby to make the playoffs or otherwise, mm-hmm. if you don't, you're on the hot seat, which I get because at that point, you're outside the top 12. And when you have a program that's built the way that Georgia is right now and how much he's done to get it to this point, if we don't make the top 12, with Kirby Smart, the rest of his his time at Georgia, whether it's three years, whether it's 10 more years with Kirby Smart, we will make the playoffs all of those years with Kirby Smart in my head. And yeah. it, it now gives people like him a lot more cushion as far as when that seat starts to get hot. I sat here and we've mm-hmm. all talked about this here as well. I said that in the next three years, Kirby Smart wins a national championship. In the next three years. I, I'm hoping this year. It'd be great. Not guaranteeing it yet. I'm not going to guarantee it like that because college football is not easy. But I said in the next three years, he wins that that championship. And if he doesn't, at that point is when you start looking at, all right, that's when fans will start getting really restless. That's when the program, you know, the athletic director stuff gets really restless. And at that point, he becomes a little bit toasty. Not saying he's on the hot seat yet, but he starts to heat up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And But now it might give him a little bit more cushion because he'll get to the playoffs. And at that point, you can make that playoff run. You can get hot at the right time. Everybody's healthy at the right time. And all of a sudden, you're better at that point of the year than you were before when you lost that one or two games. And so now you have the chance to really run for it. That's what will keep coaches like him, their jobs, even longer now. That will be a big impact. Yes. Yes, so weird dynamics got to create because if you finish 12th every year, your seat's fine. You finish 15th every year, your seat's scorching because <laughs> – these ADs Those three like, spots are going to be, yeah, yeah it's the, going to be right there. Yeah, these ADs are going to be like, okay, you finish the 15th every year. What's going to take take to We need three more spots from you. finish 12th. Yeah, we need three more spots from you so you can have the chance to make that run. Which, no. I mean, I know a lot of George fans were frustrated when, when Rick was fired, but he was in that kind of that same spot. He sat there for 15 years, and that's my point. If he made it 15 years and we were right there in that spot, imagine if we had a playoff of 12 mm-hmm. teams with him he would have made the playoffs a few times in the yeah. last few years. He would have still made the playoffs like we were up in that general range, you know, right on the brinks of it a couple times. He 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 may have stuck around a little longer and mm-hmm. maybe we don't have Kirby Smart because of it. Yeah. That all of that stuff is going to play an impact on it in long term. And you'll see you know, one one positive of it is old Dan Mullen might keep his job for a long time, so we get to keep on that for a while. So yeah. down in down in Gainesville. I guess another positive for us, and I know Brooks Brooks mentioned it. When he when he had his rant on it, is that it creates more content for us? It does. I, we're we're just the two of us, and we don't even have Jonathan today. And we're forty five minutes in, and we haven't even switched to the next comp, like the the next yeah. thing we wanted to talk about today. The well, topic well, hasn't changed. It's just another topic to add and, to to the regular seasons. Oh yeah, and we haven't. We're going to talk about this again next week with Jonathan. We'll have at least thirty more minutes well, probably yeah. next week. Well, yeah, because they do have to have a vote on the twenty second. Yeah, so we're going to so, talk about this. It, it adds content. It's going to make. 
each week going, like you said, every week it's something extra to talk about. For the next few years, it's going to be something always to talk about. Well, no, it's I mean, important. Not just a few years, just permanently, because it's it's just another. It'll create, it's, yeah. It's right just now, it'll be like thread. the. Right now, it'll be like the. In the next couple of years, it'll be like the new thing. This is what it is right now because of this and stuff. In the future, it'll still add extra content because now you still have to prepare for it and everything like yeah, that. Yes, it's, it's 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 a new it's a new thread yeah. to the season. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, it'll be good good for that. Don't get me wrong. We'll see how it plays out the rest of the way. I'm going to call it on that conversation because we did make it a, l- a little further than I thought we would on it today. But it's it's just so much to talk about. You're peeking back. What's the Braves game score? It's still 0-0, top of the fourth. But no outs and runners on first and second. And pop up center. One out. <laughs> um, to give the update as well because I didn't say this at the beginning. It is Thursday, June 17th. Right now it's 8-15. Started at close to 7-30 tonight. Um, as well. We're going to jump over to the next segment as well so we can kind of get this wrapped up tonight with a little bit more other than just the 12-team playoff expansion. The next part we wanted to talk about was the Walter Camp preseason All-American list, who was and wasn't on that list. We'll start with who was, and then we'll talk about who wasn't and like who maybe should have been first team on there. Um, four Georgia players made the second team nobody made the first team i'll start by saying that so george pickens wide receiver second team offense jamari sawyer offensive tackle second team offense jordan davis nose tackle second team defense jake camarda second team defense we only had one person on our defense make that list and that's second team yeah i i guess i guess walter camp showing well they have the third most prestigious mvp award in, in college football, because there are a lot of head scratchers there. I mean, um, for starters, to Keith Smith not being on there, I mean, almost a consensus, um, not consensus first team, but he was an All American either first or second team across the board last year and third team. He did have a couple third team selections. So, to give the, yeah, so All American honors from six different sources. Yeah. And he didn't make first or second team. Yeah. Um, one thing I did notice when I looked at Walter Camp's lists, and a big problem with it, it's a little antiquated. Um, they were very rigid with a th- with a four three defense, so there's no room for the nickel star position that Smith plays, which is a problem for for, for Walter Camp because they got to get get with the times. Like you you can't have an eleven man All American team because technically no one starts eleven players like. You have you prepare to have like 13, 14 starters right. just based on the defense that well it, think it, about it that you field exactly like when you because you have positions like defensive back where most most times like if you look at the way like your your starters are going to be you're going to have two starting like cornerbacks mm-hmm. right but you're going to have four plus like cornerbacks play in a game because that's just how it works like so you're yeah. gonna have, and they're in your starting rotation basically because you're going to shuffle them in with the ones and two like the ones like the number one and two spot you're going to have like four different people play in those spots at defensive back or at cornerback because they that's just what happens like it that one of those positions same thing with wide receiver you don't just have mm-hmm. you know one or two wide receivers that are going to play you're going to see a lot of guys at that position yeah but just just in general now no one no one starts a game with with four defensive backs like no one even runs a four defensive back base anymore because no. you can't because so many teams are in the spread so that's that's an issue with walter camp um not having five defensive backs on their all-american list and they only have tyke smith's position basically um 
Then another glaring. Which actually, to not cut you off there, but that might be why he got left off the list. Yeah. Because you can't put him at corner. He's not a corner. You can't put him at safety. He's not a safety. I mean, that would have yeah. been. They would have had to put him at safety. And he's not going to be your. He's not going to be one of your best safeties because it's not what he plays. So that's yeah. actually a very valid point with it. Because where would you put him on that list? Mm-hmm. At what position? And at that point, can he say he's better at that position than whoever they put on that list? Probably not, because it's not the position he plays. Yeah, and I know that's that's one thing at at Sports Illustrated, at least with um, our high school rankings that we try to we try to keep. Um, I know they I know that that, that group SI um, All American tries to keep their um, their positioning for players up to date. So like we'll list players an edge. Uh, some some guys are listed as a star at out of high school. I mean. The football's changing, and if you're going to be an organization like Water Camp that has awards that you give out and All-American teams, you got to uh, change change with the times as well. Yeah, um, if, if SI, All-American, and 24-7 sports, all those things are keeping up with it more, if you actually give out a, a physical like trophy, and award for mm-hmm. these guys, like then you should darn well be keeping up with the times like everybody else Walter is. Camp has the as a has a MVP award. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like if you you do that like legitimately mm-hmm. and you don't you're not keeping up with it. That's that's not good. It's not good. Mm-hmm. So you have that position and then like another one that we talked about which actually is kind of funny before I read the article that you had actually posted, we sat here and talked about the different players that we were like I didn't I, I was saying the ones I didn't know how they could not be on that list and it kind of matched up with what you were saying which is always why we get along on the show anyways we're all like-minded yeah. it all makes sense for us um but the next one's just nicobe dean and just going back to there's there's no excuse for that one there in my mind not, not first or second team for nicobe dean like yeah. he he was he was a um butkus award uh semifinalist yeah i think the he was a, he was a semifinalist last year Mm-hmm. For the best linebacker mm-hmm. in the nation, and you didn't put him in, uh, you didn't put him in the the first or second team. I think the biggest head scratcher on that, more so than just him being a Buckus finalist, is Georgia's recent track record with this coaching staff at the linebacker position. I mentioned the story, Roquan Smith, um, immediate impact in the in the in the pros uh, after winning the Buckus Award yeah. himself. Tay Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant, starts three games as, as a rookie. Monty Rice, despite um, being injured his whole time at Georgia, basically, obvious red flags, still goes in the third round for a reason. Like, There's no doubt Nicobe Dean is going to be one of the top linebackers in the country just because he'll be a Butkus Award finalist this yeah. year. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, he's not just a semifinalist like last yeah. year. He will be a finalist. And he could win it because, like you said, the track record of Georgia linebackers is there. He could very well win it. He will definitely be a finalist in my head. When you look at Nicobe Dean's talent, you look at what he did last year when he had to step up when Monty Rice's injuries started to pile up again, what he did in that time, and just Georgia's track record, how is he not um, an All-American, a preseason All-American? That's that's the biggest head-scratcher to me. I mean, even more so than Takee Smith um, because – like I said, at least the, at least Tucky Smith's position is even even on on the list. I will say that that's probably what kept him out of yeah. it. I do, but yeah. but middle linebacker is very much on on that list, right? And they yeah, they, he definitely should be first or second team on there at minimum second team. There, like the fact that they left him off is just it's it's terrible. It it's awful. And then I mean to keep up with like the same 
same position group in general, like at linebacker as a whole, right? I mean, they also mm-hmm. left Adam Anderson off, who had, what, five and a half or six sacks, I think, as a backup last year. We credit him with six and a half. Six and a half. So he had six and a half sacks last year. 24 hurries. 24 hurries as a backup last year. Yeah, only playing passing Only playing passing down, that's the key. Like, obviously he's a great pass rusher because that's what he does. That's, that's how Georgia uh, – when Georgia chooses to put him on the field is when they know the um, opposing offense is going is to pass. Yet they left him off the list. As a backup, he put six and a half sacks up. Mm-hmm. Only playing those specific downs for pass rushing situations. If you want to be a technical, his position on that list either because they don't have um, um, edge rusher. Linebacker that only plays on the line doesn't back the line much at all. Yeah, I mean, but at this point, at this point, and I know I've heard, I think Brooks said something along this line anyways, there's not that many true outside linebackers anymore. Most outside linebackers pretty much play towards the edge more in, yeah. in a lot of defenses anyway. So it may not have officially changed where it says edge on there, but outside linebacker, it, I don't have the list of who made it in that position, who made the list in, in front of them at that position. I promise you they probably also play edge as far as that type yeah, of guy. Probably. But and my, my point of with Adam Anderson too is, not only did he have six and a half as the backup on there, the guy in front of him had like eight as well. So it, he wasn't, and so that means the other person was also playing a lot of passing down situations. Mm-hmm. Yet he still was able to get on there with a limited number of snaps and make that much of an impact. And what? Yet they, they, now this year, going it's preseason. You're you're predicting what they're going to do this year. The whole point, it's preseason, not based necessarily on yeah. solely on last year. It's what you saw last year on top of the fact that what you think they will be able to do this year. I've said it multiple times. I will say it again. I'm telling you, I think he's going to have double-digit sacks this year. I, I'm, 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 I'm right, there, right there with you on that. I think he has 10-plus sacks this year mm-hmm. based on what we saw last year, based on the, the way Georgia's defense is going to be played this year. And this the he's going to have more snaps. Well, heck, he should have had three or four against Auburn, if not for Bo Nix. Just, just throwing the ball away just, while he's about laying on the ground. Yeah, just tossing it. He yeah, had, there was at least three spots where Bo Nix was like completely yeah. like horizontal with the ground and just threw the ball away, and he didn't get it. I think, I think Georgia actually – Gave him one one of those sacks. And they should, because I think they they reviewed one of those plays. They reviewed and they had to see if like Bo Nix's knee was down yeah. first or not. And not even making the argument of the fact that he should have had some intentional grounding calls against him in there. But like they literally had to review one to see if his knee was down because it was that close okay. and he just chunked it. What's the sidearm throw while he's like horizontal? Yeah, just just to uh, divert from our topic, um, I'm of the opinion I think um, intentional grounding. If you're if you're being tackled. It should be spot foul. Like if you're if you're being tackled seven yards behind, and you just toss it. It's intentional grounding. It should be a seven yard loss. It shouldn't be the five yards. And I think the defender. It's the, fifteen, isn't it? I think. I don't know, I think it's intentional grounding is a. I thought it was a fifteen yard loss of down penalty. I don't think it's fifteen. I don't know. Maybe 15. I'm wrong. I think it's just five and a loss of down. But I think it should be to where the tackle was going to happen, and I think that player should get credit for for the sack in the stat book. I would like that. I would be a, a proponent of that too, because that you not only do you, it's effectively a sack. It is a sack because there's a reason you were there's a reason you threw the ball away is because you were about to be sacked, yeah. which means that person had you because you created a penalty in order to yeah. avoid it. So they they should get credit for that. It sack. has the same effect. I just I just think 
players should be recognized for it. Um, in the yeah, I think of, they should get. I think they could get credit for that too, which means at that point he would have more sacks on it this yeah. year, this past year, and which is more reason for me to say I think he has ten plus sacks this year. Yet he's not a top, you know, he's not a first or second team preseason All American. And the only thing that would have left him off, because um, we talked about it after the season, like um, he only played on passing down. So what's his run defense like? But I believe Brooks did did did, did the film did the film study on him, then and he came away thinking that Adam Anderson was a solid run stopper. That's that really wasn't a question that he had about Anderson anymore after watching that that film. So if you pay attention to the film, that that, that kind of um, that kind of uh, answers the one question you had about his game. And then of course we go into spring and Georgia Cross trains him at a at a nickel star a little bit. Had him actually play traditional linebacker and then leave the box sometimes. So I mean. If he's a great pass rusher, if he's if you look at the film and say, okay, he is a good good run stopper, he just uh, there's just better players ahead of him, more experienced players ahead of him, and then they're oh they're going to have him do more than just um, stop stop the run and and rush rush quarterbacks. You gotta, but this but that's kind of been the 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 trend for Adam Anderson all off season, um, constantly being left off of lists. Um, Constantly not being included in discussions about the best um, pass rushers in the game, best linebackers in the game uh, right now, and he's made—I mean, he's made point of this on his own on Twitter multiple times and uh, multiple Georgia uh, B, um, uh, beat writers have made made the same point. Like that's kind of been the trend this offseason for Adam Anderson, just underrated all for six months now, basically. Yeah. So the next side of the same conversation, too, is we talked about just the people that should have made the list in general on it. The next thing to point out is our boy Jordan Davis, uh, most likely a first round pick at nose tackle defensive line, like interior defensive lineman in next year's draft. Is most likely second. would have been in this year's draft. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And he's listed as a second team. And one of the uh, things that were brought up to us tonight as far as something to talk about was in regards to this. And that is him getting second team versus um, versus Brian Brzee making first team in front of him. Brian Brzee is a interior defensive lineman for Clemson who is a sophomore this year. So he's coming off of his freshman season. Mm-hmm. And they put him on first team. Now, don't get me wrong. And this is why I said this will transition us into the next conversation as well when we talk about our front seven defense and all that kind of stuff on it. One of the arguments that a lot of people, you know, you've, you've seen and you've you've talked about is Georgia has one of the best front sevens in the nation. They do. If there's somebody you're going you're gonna to say might be better at that position area than you, it's Clemson. And he's on that defensive line. He is part of that front seven. So he's he is really good. They're really good. I get that. We're talking about a guy that's going into his sophomore season versus a guy that's going into his senior season who, like you said, very well could have been a first-rounder this year, at least borderline second, first-round, like right there on that Mm -hmm. line. And next year, he's going to be a first-round draft pick, in my opinion. Worst case, very early second round again. Once again, that's the player we're talking about that made second team versus a guy that still has to play at yeah. minimum two more seasons because he's only played one in college football in general, and that was in the COVID season last year. 
yeah, I mean, Anderson being a second team behind Brzee, no disrespect to uh, to him, but Davis is the quintessential nose guard in in football. A guy that doesn't, I mean, he says he said so himself. He doesn't care about how many tackles he gets as long as he took on a double team and he opens up a lane for Nakobe Dean or Quay Walker for whoever to get in there and make the stop at the line of scrimmage. He's he's happy. And I think you pointed out the exact reason right there. I think you just, and this is what I was thinking about it beforehand as well. I'm pretty sure that that's why he was chosen above Jordan Davis for the first team. And that's because if you look at the stat line, Brian is going to have more on his stat line than Jordan Davis is going to have. What you don't see is the actual impact they're having directly on every other aspect of the game, right? Like what you just said, as far as he's doing the fact that he's not moving at all from his spot and he's not really trying to is the difference. That's, that's what people don't realize when they just look at the stat sheet of it. He's, he's trying to just hold his spot because what that does is that that causes that running back to have to kick left more than they wanted to. And guess what? All of a sudden, Nicobe Dean's coming downhill and hit, gets a tackle for a loss for Nicobe Dean. It's in his stat book. But Jordan Davis is the reason he was able to do that. Yeah. When you watch Jordan Davis play is when you actually see that. And that's where playing for Clemson benefited him in this spot. And that's where it potentially pushed him to that first round. And the reason I say playing for Clemson specifically helped him on that is because Clemson had a little bit more national attention on them and more media, more people watching, more people seeing that like his actual stuff. Plus his stat line is going to be a little bit better potentially on that as well and that's because they were you know in the playoffs in the national championship game we all saw it happen they won like they they so there was more eyes on him than Jordan Davis and you have to watch Jordan Davis play to really see the value that he adds to it and to be able to see why he should have been first team and I think that that is why he was chosen over Jordan Davis that's because you, you can't, by just looking at the numbers, you're not going to see how valuable he is. And I think that that's where they missed. Yeah, looking at Brzee's stats, 6.5 tackles for loss, four sacks. Like I said, I think that defensively at least, that was a very rigid All-American team, not accounting for um, all the different types of defenses you see out there. Because, um, I mean... Brzee's not a nose guard. Jordan Davis is. I mean, you you can't really compare them. Brzee plays. I mean, really, let's go ahead and say it. He plays a different a different position entirely. Um, he's asked to do things that Jordan Davis isn't. Jordan Davis is asked to do things that that a Brzee isn't. Um, Very true, and that's why, like what you just said on his stat line, in and when you look at Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis only had seven solo tackles and. He had one sack last year. So when you look at that, when you look at the stat line, like yeah, I mean four sacks, thirteen tackles for you said and how many tackles for a loss? I don't remember. But the point of it is like he he had those numbers that That's Jordan 6.5. Davis six point five tackles for a loss mm-hmm. and four sacks. So that that's where you have a little bit more when you look at the stat line on it. But like you said, they're really not the same position and style of football that they're playing. And Jordan Davis is being asked to do something very different, which is why I say that to really see the value that he has and how important and mm-hmm. Jordan Davis is, you have to actually watch him play so you see him 
actually lining up right there and the impact that he's having. The fact that that sack that we just got with, you know, Adam Anderson being able to sneak through or Nicobe Dean being able to sneak through or Monty Rice there, like whoever it was, the, the credit goes to the person that made the play on it, but the person wouldn't have been able to make the play without Jordan Davis. Everyone at Georgia knows that. The players know that. Like, he knows that. Yeah, but there's, there's some of these guys won't know that. But there's a reason he's supposed to be first round. With those that stat line right there, he still could have gone first round with that stat line. That's my point. There's a reason why the coaches keep a bag of sweet fish on the sidelines. So he's not getting stats. He has, he has to get, get, get something. <laughs> he's got to get rewarded somewhere, right? But no, but like the, the whole point is, once again, he's still considered a first-round draft pick yeah. with seven tackles and one sack last year. Hmm. That doesn't sound like a first-round stat book, but it's because the, the the draft analysts and the teams, like the scouts that are actually watching, see the fact that he's worth a first-round pick, even with the stat line looking like that, because yeah. of the other impact he's having on the game. Which, once again, I'll let this, because we're about an hour and six minutes in, I'll let this kind of segue the rest of the way into that conversation about our front seven defense, because we talked about Clemson's front seven and we kind of segued into it. So, Jordan Davis at the, at the nose. Who do we? Let's talk about, you know, the rest of the guys with him, right? So, go ahead and just go ahead and list off the guys for us that we look at at our front seven this season and what, what they're going to bring us. Um, it's not going to be a front seven. I'm going to say a front eight. Actually, and we're gonna get to that's what, fair. I know why. Yeah, I we're gonna get, get that. that one eighth in a minute. Yeah, but starting beside Jordan Davis, you got Devontae White, very underrated interior defensive lineman. Um, also somebody that's coming back for that extra year. Like yeah. that's a very big deal and a very big impact that it's going to have. He's a guy that you know he's 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 kind of more more um, comparable to 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 a breezy. I, I would believe um, does get a lot of sacks, but he does get in the backfield a lot, gets hurries, forces quarterbacks out of the pocket, um, kind of puts them into someone else's lap. Um, on the other side of the defensive line, you got Trayvon Walker, who um, experience has been the reason why we haven't seen him start many games, but he is a step up as a pass rusher from what we've had lately with Tyler Clark and Malik Herring, who are they were more traditional 3-4 defensive ends. Trayvon Walker's more that four-man front that we're kind of switching to. Um and then also on the defensive line, who's not going to start a whole lot, but he'd be starting for a hundred other programs in this country. Jalen Carter. I mean, you have to mention him because I mean, Georgia does rotate so many players. I mean, he's going to have as many snaps as a starter, I would assume. A hundred percent, and he's going to fill in at all three of those positions you just said too. He's going to he's he's going to be. That's why we have to say not a front seven for Georgia. It's it's going to be more than that because he's going to play mm-hmm. a big impact there. On, on being an extra person as well as the other spot that you're going to mention here in a second as far as that goes. So he's going to play at all three of those positions whenever one of the other people. Yeah. He's going to be on the field just as much as the other three because he's going to jump in next to those guys like when somebody else is out. like he, He's going to get just as many snaps as the other three. Yeah, and the, But not technically a starter. The biggest thing that, that Carter does is when, when Georgia switches to that two-man front defense with two linemen, you get him with... Uh, with uh, with Walker in there as well, or or beside uh, Davis. Now you got basically two two noses with with two 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 edges on the outside. That's where a lot of his value is going to going to come come from this year. It it makes another formation a little stronger, I would say. And then behind them, the linebackers, Nakobe Dean. We already t- t- talked about him. Uh, Quay Walker looked looked a lot better in the G Day game. He's a guy that's. The, the the tools are there for, for, for Quay Walker to be 
I would say every bit as good as as Dean. I think he has that talent. I think he had talents. He's shown that skill, um, but he does make some boneheaded decisions. And, He's in the wrong spot a few times last year. Like he kind of yeah. just like overruns plays a little bit more, which is sometimes that's just like the age mm-hmm. thing, being a little bit younger, underclassman, just trying to get the experience and, and needing to learn a little bit more of it. And so. But he's still very, very capable, very talented. His talent level is extremely high. He's very capable of being one of the Georgia great linebackers coming through next to Nicobe Dean right there. Yeah, if he can just cut out those bad plays, I mean, he's going to be one of the best linebackers in, 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 in the nation. And we already have one that we already know is one of the best linebackers in the nation. And then to their outside, Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson. We already talked about Anderson. Smith is a guy, uh, no pro football focus, said he's a little raw. And they are right in some some regards there, but all, all the tools are there, obviously. Um, and he, and he has gotten in the backfield. Like he's been a backup like Anderson. He's been a guy that has, you know, been behind Aziz. He was behind, uh, uh, Jermaine Johnson as well. Um, but in the little bit we've seen of him, I mean, he has, he has come up in big spots. I mean, he is, I mean, we, we're projecting him to start at one of the linebacker positions this year. Um, that is a very strong eight guys. That George is going to rely on in that in that front this season, who mm. aren't all going to be who they're never going to be on the field at the same same time together. You're never going to see George line up with eight man front. Hell, you're never going to see George line up with seven man front all that often. It's going to be six man most of the time. So you got those guys are constantly rotating. Yeah, I mean exactly, and those guys are going to be rotating, which is why we had to say eight because once again you have Jalen Carter that you have to include in that conversation as well. Even though he's not technically one of the starters, he's going to be getting his name out. Like he's going to be basically a starter. He's one of that very impactful, you know, front quote unquote seven, right? And then you look at the same thing as between Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith are going to be the two guys that also force you to say eight rather than seven because they are going to be like interchangeable almost between the two of them in that spot from what everybody said right like the, the biggest thing that both of them help each other in aspects of the game the other person like lacks nolan is working on his you know pass rushing ability you know more than just like being there for rundowns himself more and then anderson's going to work more on being able to set the edge and being able to be more in the run game rather than just coming out there on passing mm-hmm. downs so they're both kind of helping each other, I'm sure, there and kind of going back and forth. And so that's why you'll still see both of them because they, they help each other. They help Georgia as a whole where one might be lacking that the other person fills in perfectly for you. And plus, I do expect them to both make big improvements in those sides of their game. And the reason I kind of talk about the pass rush being added to Nolan's game is I think the pass rush in general is going to be very dynamic at Georgia this year. It's going to be very aggressive because I I genuinely believe we talked about this. Why did Jordan Davis come back this year? There's no reason for him to come back other than the fact that he was told or maybe had thinks or somehow believes that he can improve his draft stock because he can maybe develop more of a pass rush this year than he had last year. And and, in his career, really, he hasn't really done that very much. He does everything else extremely well. He's very, very Mm -hmm. important in the run game at holding his spot so somebody else can get where they need to go. He's very important in so many aspects of it. The only thing that you don't see is the sack numbers getting up. And maybe that's what he's trying to come back to do. You're going to have Adam Anderson absolutely coming with like his hair on fire off the edge as well. And I genuinely believe that Nolan Smith is really going to be trying to make a big impact in that spot of it himself. And I think that Georgia's defense is ready to say, all right, 
I would add, I would add, add a Trayvon to that. And Trayvon as well. well. Yeah, as like a true defensive end. Like he's going to be coming off that end very aggressively. And we already have seen Jalen Carter gets in there and gets pressure on him. We just talked about how Wyatt gets pressure on them. This front eight is going to be extremely good. Let's go ahead and make it a, a front nine. Because <laughs> I would be, be remiss if I, we did not mention, mention Channing Tindall. As I was thinking about that when we were talking about it because he and there was a lot of talk about Quay and him, like who was going to be that other linebacker there. Was it, was it going to be Quay Walker or was it going to be Tyndall? I thought it was always going to be Quay, but Tyndall, he is George's best like pass dresser from from the second level. Like he's a guy that is he's a little more instinctive coming coming from that 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 position. So he's going to be part of that pass rush as well. I think you're going to see him a lot of uh, passing downs when Georgia wants to create a pass rush. There are times when we get to passing down and Georgia wants the linebacker to be in man, and that's when they will go go to Quay. But it's all going to be be a situational. But I think Tyndall deserves a spot up there. He was solid last year. Uh, now he's the number – that's kind of, kind of been, been a coveted spot at Georgia, that number three linebacker spot. Um, it's always been a guy that's played a good bit since, 20, since 2018, I would say. Going back to a Taya Crowder that that year, right? And I think the reason the reason for that too is well, there's a couple things that played into that. Like the biggest one of the mm-hmm. biggest reasons Tay Tay played as much as he did earlier on there in like 2018 and stuff is because Monty was down, and so Monty mm-hmm. was hurt, and that that gave him an extra spot, somebody else a spot at middle linebacker for us to be able to play. But at the same time, outside of that, the reason that that is something that you still see the third guy get a decent amount of playing time on there. You'll see him out there a good bit is because we change people out pretty well. We try to keep people pretty fresh on our defense. And that's one of the things that Kirby's really, really brought to the table for us is how he manages our defense and how incredibly talented. And these guys are that are behind the starters. That's why we're sitting here talking about how we can't say a front seven. And you just, you just jumped it up to nine for the same reason. We can't limit it to seven guys in the front between like linebackers having, you know, a couple guys playing that edge outside with us that we're going to switch in and out on it. And then also having the extra inside linebacker, but then also having that guy on the defensive line that's going to be playing a lot technically is not your starter. Like there's, there's so much to be excited about with this defense as well this year Mm -hmm. that a lot of times, which is why I wanted to bring this up tonight too, because it was suggested was a lot of times I think that gets lost in all of mm-hmm. the talk about our offense this year and how it's going to be. Do not forget how good this defense can still be. No, it may not be, you know, a top three defense like we've had in a few years, like past couple of years and stuff like that with our defense being as good as it's been, but it's still going to be a very good defense. And that front seven could make a lot of impact in those games and and create wins out of games that are very close. Like, I want to say when I when I stretch it to nine, I'm not just being a Georgia fan, hyping up Georgia, getting overconfident about Georgia's defense. This is this is modern uh, football on, on the defensive side. You don't have eleven starters. You have multiple starters because um, everything is situational. Um, you'll have your starting lineup for what this offense does. You'll have your starting defense for what this other offense does. Georgia is just one of the best at that. Georgia is one of the best at having pretty much every every situation covered. That's why this front seven is one of the best and has been one of the best since 2017. They have every situation covered. That's why you have a Tyndall who is not going to start many games, but he has a clear role in this in this uh, front. Um, Nolan Smith or Adam Anderson, they might not start every game, but they have a clear role. 
Jalen Carter has a clear role. Well, exactly. And think about that too, like with, with Jalen Carter and Devontae Wyatt and going back to even when you were talking about the role that like Tyler Clark and them played on there, there's a reason that, you know, Jordan Davis would come off the field occasionally on there is because it may be a more of a pass rushing situation and Jordan Davis comes off the field so we can put a Tyler Clark or somebody like that out there or a Wyatt or somebody to get that's going to be able to get more pressure on the quarterback. And so they're, they're coming out in those situations and think back to last year, Carter was playing a lot earlier on and stuff. And all of a sudden we get to Bama. And Julian Rochester is out there, you know, getting a lot more time on it because he started those like that game. He he had the extra playing time and playing that game because it was a situational kind of thing. Kirby decided he wanted to start go with this guy because of the type of team we were playing in the situation that it was. That's the kind of thing that he does in general, and that's why you see so many guys cycle through. And like we talked about, you know, several times too with our defensive backs that left. Like DJ Daniel wasn't technically a starter, but he was darn sure on the field yeah. a, a crap ton that's all i'm gonna say like he was on the field a lot mm-hmm. and but he wasn't one of our starting cornerbacks technically yeah he played just as many snaps the only position that georgia really is a trait like that is safety and i'd say for for good reason you kind of can't it, safety doesn't work the same way but also safeties they have a different play style than the other positions yeah. do it, it's it could be a little easier for them to not necessarily get so exhausted as quick as some of the other spots necessarily will. But plus, it also you're not going to have uh, very different style safeties in general to really come in and play different scenarios that much. Like when you have a you know a Richard LeCount out there who he's going to he can play the coverage. You know he can go man to man sometime time to time on there. He's also very helpful in the run game too. And with safety defensive line like it's just some things are just very well known right like you just kind of know certain situations like if a third and long is yeah. passing down so obviously they come out with their passing set and everything like like they're rushing pass rush set all that kind of stuff like all that is a little bit at safety you can't just sit here and yeah. just switch out because you think it's going to be a run play because all of a sudden they'll know that like yeah. and they'll be like all right that's fine we'll switch like it's not hard to change and combat that like yeah, no team switches to the 46 defense no. <laughs> and and short short yardage anymore no you you just don't and they, because but also at the same time that's because safeties are different than they may have been yeah. in the past as well and so you they play a different style as a whole like that whole position group is just different than it used to be like i mean one of george's best safeties of all time was a multi-time pro bowler at linebacker in the nfl thomas davis yeah so that's it's very different nowadays so mm-hmm. but my point of this is don't let the you know, excitement and all of this this buzz around our offense, JT Daniels, you know, and all the weapons that we have, don't let that make you forget how good this defense yeah. can be this year. And don't let it, you know, make you think our defense isn't going to be, you know, able to win us games as well. Our offense is very much going to win us a lot of games, don't get me wrong. Our defense can still win us a lot of games as well. It's going to be a combination of the two. It's going to be really fun to watch this year. I'm extremely excited to see how everything opens up here. We're getting so close, just a couple months out from you know seeing us match up against Clemson and and their you know front seven and getting to kind of see how close we are in comparison to them directly. I'll say we have an advantage as far as our offense versus theirs, but their defense is going to be a little bit better than ours, especially in that front seven. Potentially is what everyone will say, you know. So it'll be really nice to see how we stack up against it. And as the season goes on, that that conversation might change. You might say that, all right, Georgia does have one of the better front sevens, and they can make the argument saying that they might have a better front seven than Clemson at this point. Because I think as the season goes on, it's only going to get better. 
I think you'll see yeah. what they can do, and it'll be super fun to watch. I'm, I'm just excited to see it. I don't know about you, but that's that's. I'll end it on that for me. That's that's what I got. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see both sides of the ball, and you should be as well. So don't forget about the defense side, defensive side as well. Uh, we are just over an hour and twenty in it, so we'll kind of we won't really get into like the talking season segment this time because we didn't have a ton for it anyways. It was going to be a little different, so we'll kind of hold off this week. We'll make sure we bring you a good set next week. So. In the meantime, with all the stuff coming up with the playoffs and all that kind of stuff, all these other teams are going to be talking, all the fans. So make sure you're looking out there. And if you see something, go ahead and, and uh, screenshot it, send it to us, and we'll talk about it next week. But I'm excited to see how it plays out. We'll wait and see how everything happens with the you know 12-team playoff, all that kind of stuff. But as always, I appreciate you guys listening to it this far. If you've made it all the way to the end with us, we will have a new episode Probably next week. We, we plan to sit together next week. It's, summer is kind of hard. A lot of stuff going on for everybody. It makes it difficult to make sure we get mm-hmm. every week. But in the meantime, make sure you reach out to us on social media on Twitter at DogsDailyPOD and then on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DogsDailyPOD. And you can always message us on there directly as well, individually. Um, but as always, until next time, keep it classy in the classic city and we will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Dogs Daily crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at Jeremiah underscore Stodd 7, to Kyle at DK Fubderberg, and Jonathan at 22 underscore J-Man. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, go dogs.